Ask not what your country can do for you. There's a lot of I've got to be in the lead. The giant was a Peter, oh, your little mouse, so won't you go away? One ringy-dingy. Hand off to Griffin, cracks the middle, gets the five. Touchdown, Ohio State. Oklahoma, where the wind comes sweeping down the plane. I'm interested to know, Gracie, who's your choice? Need you ask, George. Time now for spinning my dad's vinyl. Here with all his skips, scratches, and pops is my dad, Frank Vaccarello. Thanks, sweetie, and thank you for tuning in to episode 13 of Spinning My Dad's Vinyl. I'm going to do a lot of talking in this episode, but for a real good reason. What a life we are going to learn about in this episode. The voice, the style, the Memorex commercials, all unmistakably Ella Fitzgerald. She is known more for her up-tempo swing and her scatting skills, but this album is all about the tender ballads. So, get ready for the First Lady of Song with Volume 13, Ella. Hello, love. Thank you. 
to my head written by haven gillespie and j fred coots so why this album other than it being from one of the greatest voices in music history okay short story time as i was starting to really become musically aware in the 1970s ella fitzgerald was just starting as the spokes singer for memorex tapes which we'll talk about in this episode's interesting side note It's the ad where she shattered the glass while singing her high notes. The imagery from that commercial has always stayed with me, but it was embedded in my memory because of what happened when I was working at McDonald's while in high school. I was sweeping the lobby one evening, and my high school buddy John Carter was in the far back washing the glass coffee carafes. Now, John was a great trumpet player in high school who liked to really hit those high notes, and he liked to practice his improvisation by vocal scatting. On this particular occasion, as you heard his voice echo through the restaurant, he kept going higher and higher as he scatted. Finally, he let out the highest note he could sing and dropped the glass carafe, shattering it into a thousand pieces. And that echoed all over that restaurant. It was a perfect reenactment of the famed Memorex commercial. I almost fell on the floor laughing so hard. My manager was not so pleased, however. Okay, back to this episode. Even though there is plenty of Ella's music sprinkled throughout my dad's collection, he only has one of her albums. So we're going to do something a little different in this episode. She had an extremely interesting life. We're going to hear some highlights and lowlights of that biography during this episode. But here's an overall picture of her to start with. Ella Jane Fitzgerald was an American jazz singer, sometimes referred to as the First Lady of Song, Queen of Jazz, and Lady Ella. She was noted for her purity of tone, impeccable diction, phrasing, timing, intonation, and a horn-like improvisational ability, particularly in her scat singing. Ella Fitzgerald was the most popular female jazz singer in the United States for more than a half 
half a century. In her lifetime, she won 13 Grammy Awards and sold over 40 million albums. Her voice was flexible, wide-ranging, accurate, and ageless. She could sing sultry ballads, sweet jazz, and imitate every instrument in an orchestra. She worked with all the jazz greats from Louis Armstrong, Duke Ellington, Count Basie, and Nat King Cole to Frank Sinatra, Dizzy Gillespie, and Benny Goodman. Or rather, some might say all the jazz greats had the pleasure of working with Ella. She performed at top venues all over the world and packed them to the hilt. Her audiences were as diverse as her vocal range. They were rich and poor, made up of all races, all religions, and all nationalities. In fact, many of them had just one binding factor in common. They all loved her. But it most certainly was not an easy road for her. And we'll start from the beginning after this next tune. Making a moan, 
starry light So none will find me sighing and crying All alone, a weeping willow tree Weep in sympathy Bend your branches down along the ground and cover me When the shadows fall, bend a willow and weep for me. What a wonderful melody in Willow, Weep For Me, written by Anne Rennell. All right, time to introduce you to this episode's album. Ella Fitzgerald, Hello Love, on the Verve Records label, MGV4034. It is a mono record released in 1959. It's of the jazz genre, and its style is bop vocal. Now let's uh, read the very short liner notes that are on the back here. By the way, this orchestra is conducted by Frank DeVol. Hello, Love is Ella's greeting to some of the most beautiful songs ever written about emotion. It continues, in a sense, Ella's first album of Like Someone in Love, and here, as before, Ella caresses each lovely song in her most tender fashion. Discogs has this uh, album valued between $2 and $25, with the median coming in at $5.20. Found it on Amazon for $19.99. Did not find a copy of it on eBay. My dad's album is uh, in fair condition, the media. Um, kind of weird, the uh, the album, the way it may, may have been recorded, maybe not mixed as well as some of the albums you would have heard. Um, but I think that's more the album's fault, not the condition that the media is in, but I'm going to call it fair. Uh, the cover is in poor con- condition. Once again, a nice big slit along the top. Didn't get the... Uh, the, the uh, uh, black tape treatment that my dad usually does. And um, this one doesn't really have one of his labels on it. But once again, the album cover is in very poor condition. I am going to call the value of my dad's album 25 cents. I think I can get a quarter out of that if I put that in a in a yard sale. All right, let's really introduce you now to the featured artist. And we're going to start at the beginning. Ella Fitzgerald was born on April 25th 1917 in Newport News, Virginia. She was the daughter of William Fitzgerald and Temperance Tempe Henry. Her parents were unmarried but lived together in the East End section of Newport News for at least two and a half years after she was born. Starting in third grade, Fitzgerald loved dancing and admired Earl Snake Hips Tucker. She performed for her peers on the way to school and at lunchtime. She and her family were Methodists and were active in the Bethany African Methodist Episcopal Church, where she attended worship services, Bible study, and Sunday school. The church provided Fitzgerald with her earliest experiences in music. She listened to jazz recordings by Louis Armstrong, Bing Crosby, and the Boswell Sisters. She loved the Boswell Sisters' lead singer, Connie Boswell, later saying, quote, My mother brought home one of her records, and I fell in love with it. I tried so hard to sound just like her, unquote. In 
1932, when Fitzgerald was 15, her mother died from injuries sustained in a car accident. Her stepfather took care of her until April 1933, when she moved to Harlem to live with her aunt. The seemingly swift changes in her circumstances, reinforced by what Fitzgerald biographer Stuart Nicholson describes as rumors of ill treatment by her stepfather, leaves, leaves him to speculate that De Silva might have abused her. Fitzgerald began skipping school and her grades suffered. She worked as a lookout at a bordello and with a mafia-affiliated numbers runner. She never talked publicly about this time in her life. When the authorities caught up with her, she was placed in the Colored Orphan Asylum in Riverdale in Bronx. When the orphanage proved too crowded, she was moved to the New York Training School for Girls, a state reformatory school in Hudson, New York. So it sounds like this next tune was especially sung from the heart, full of experience. Black cats creep across my path until I'm almost mad. I must have roused the devil's wrath. Cause all my luck is bad I make a date for golf And you can bet your life it rains I try to give a party And the guy upstairs complains I guess I'll go through life just catching colds and missing trains. Everything happens to me. I never miss a thing. I've had the measles and the mumps. And every time I play an ace, my partner always trumps. I guess I'm just a fool who never looks before he jumps. Everything happens to me. At first my heart thought you could break this jinx for me. That love would turn the trick to end despair. But now I just can't fool this head that thinks for me. I've mortgaged all my castles in the air. I've telegraphed and phoned. I sent an airmail special to. Your answer was goodbye, and there was even postage due. I fell in love just once and then it had to be with you. Everything happens to me. At first my heart thought you could break this jinx for me. That love would turn the trick to end despair. But now I just can't fool his head that thinks for me. 
I've mortgaged all my castles in the air I've telegraphed and phone I sent an airmail special to Your answer was goodbye And there was even postage too I fell in love just once And then it had to be with you Everything happens to me, poor me Everything happens to me And so it seems, Everything Happens to Me Written by Matt Dennis and Tom Adair. All right, let's continue on with Ella's story. While Ella seems to have survived during 1933 and 1934, in part from singing on the streets of Harlem, she made her most important debut at age 17 on November 21st, 1934, in one of the earliest amateur nights at the Apollo Theater. She had intended to go on stage and dance, but she was intimidated by a local dance duo called the Edwards Sisters and opted to sing instead. Performing in the style of Connie Boswell, she sang Judy and the object of my affection and won first prize. In January 1935, Fitzgerald won the chance to perform for a week with the Tiny Bradshaw Band at the Harlem Opera House. She was introduced to drummer and band leader Chick Webb, who had asked his recently signed singer Charlie Linton to help find him a female singer. Although Webb was reluctant to sign her because she was gawky and unkempt, a diamond in the rough, he offered her the opportunity to test with his band when they played a dance at Yale University. Met with approval by both audiences and her fellow musicians, Fitzgerald was asked to join Webb's orchestra and gained acclaim as part of the group's performances at Harlem Savoy Ballroom. Fitzgerald recorded several hit songs, including Love and Kisses, and if you can't sing it, you'll have to swing it, Mr. Paganini. But it was her 1938 version of the nursery rhyme, A Tisket, A Tasket, a song she co-wrote that brought her public acclaim. A Tisket, A Tasket became a major hit on the radio and it was also one of the biggest selling records of the decade. Webb died of spinal tuberculosis in 1939 and his band was renamed Ella and Her Famous Orchestra with Fitzgerald taking on the role of band leader. She recorded nearly 150 songs with Webb's orchestra between 1935 and 1942. In addition to her work with Webb, Fitzgerald performed and recorded with the Benny Goodman Orchestra. She had her own side project, too, known as Ella Fitzgerald and her Savoy 8. And by now, she was starting to grow accustomed to her fame. to his face He almost makes the day begin I've grown accustomed to the two He whistles night and noon His smiles, his frowns, his ups His downs are second nature to me now 
like breathing out and breathing in. I was serenely independent and content before we met. Surely I could always be that way again, and yet I've grown accustomed to his looks. Accustomed to his voice, accustomed to his face. I've grown accustomed to his face. He almost makes the day begin. I've gotten used to hear him say good morning every day. His joys, his woes, his highs, his lows are second nature to me now. Like. Breathing out and breathing in. I'm very grateful he's a man and so easy to forget. Rather like a habit one can always break, and yet I've grown accustomed to a trace of something in the air. Accustomed, I've grown accustomed to his face. I've grown accustomed to his face. Written by the famed writing duo Lerner and Lowe, Al Lerner and Frederick Lowe. Now time for this episode's interesting side note. And it's going to be a long one, thanks to this from NPR. It's the stuff of legends, an urban legend and a jazz legend, combining into a legendary advertising campaign. In 1970, the Leo Burnett ad agency in Chicago had an imaginative idea for selling Memorex's new line of blank cassette tapes. They'd prove the old myth that an opera singer could shatter a wine glass with a high note and then claim a Memorex cassette had such exacting sound precision that its recording of the singer could break a glass too. Leo Burnett made a couple TV commercials with this theme featuring tenor Enrico Di Giuseppe and soprano Nancy Shade. The tagline, Memorex recording tape, reproduction so true it can shatter glass. It was a good enough start, but opera was too elitist for Memorex's larger aims. The glass-breaking cassette campaign needed a spokesperson whose musical style embodied a more casual brilliance. Enter Ella Fitzgerald, jazz legend, gold standard for vocal excellence and a paradigm of high-fidelity sound. Thanks to her influential mid-century recordings. Music historian Judith Tick, who wrote a book about Fitzgerald, says the singer's career was a perfect fit for the campaign, as she was known at the time not only as a legend, but as a treasure-bearer of American culture. In a 1985 interview, Fitzgerald remembered her Memorex audition at the Algonquin Hotel in New York. Quote, They asked me to do the ending of How High the Moon. 
I just kept singing How High the Moon doing the ending. And when the glass broke, they said, that's the one. Then I got the job. A lot of people say, did you really break the glass? We had to prove that. They had lawyers there, unquote. So in 1972, at age 55, Ella Fitzgerald became the spokesperson for Memorex Cassettes. In the campaign's earliest TV spots, Fitzgerald scat sings, hits a high note, and shatters a goblet, as countless sound engineers in a 2005 Mythbusters segment have proven breaking a glass wouldn't have been an unlikely feat for Fitzgerald, especially with her voice amplified. Most glasses resonate at a frequency around high C with Fitzgerald's two octave range. Hitting that note would have been no problem. So, of course, John did not hit that note in back in that McDonald's story. Uh, he did have a little help with that. Now back to Ella's tender music.
And there is Tenderly, written by Jack Lawrence and Walter Gross. I really did enjoy listening to all of the music on this album when I pulled it out of my dad's collection. But let's finish up with a bit more about Ella and the discrimination she faced. On the touring circuit, it was well known that Ella's manager felt very strongly about civil rights and required equal treatment for his musicians, regardless of their color. Norman refused to accept any type of discrimination at hotels, restaurants, or concert halls, even when they traveled to the Deep South. Once, while in Dallas touring for the Philharmonic, a police squad, irritated by Norman's principals, barged backstage to hassle the performers. They came into Ella's dressing room, where band members Dizzy Gillespie and Illinois Jacquet were shooting dice, and everyone was arrested. Quote, they took us down, Ella later recalled, and then when we got there, they had the nerve to ask for an autograph. Norman wasn't the only one willing to stand up for Ella. She received support from numerous celebrity fans, including a zealous Marilyn Monroe. Quote, I owe Marilyn Monroe a real debt, Ella later said. It was because of her that I played the Macambo, a very popular nightclub in the 1950s. She personally called the owner of the Macambo and told him she wanted me booked immediately. And if he would do it, she would take a front table every night. She told him, and it was true, due to Marilyn's superstar status, that the press would go wild. The owner said yes, and Marilyn was there, front table, every night. It almost seems like Ella had three distinct careers. The early days with the swing bands, the 1950s and uh, 60s singing the standards from show tunes, and then her Memorex era. In September of 1986, Ella underwent quintuple coronary bypass surgery. Doctors also replaced a valve in her heart and diagnosed her with diabetes, which they blamed for her failing eyesight. The press carried rumors that she would never be able to sing again, but Ella proved them wrong. Despite protests by family and friends, Ella returned to the stage and pushed on with an exhaustive schedule. By the 1990s, Ella had recorded over 200 albums. In 1991, she gave her final concert at New York's renowned Carnegie Hall. It was the 26th time she had performed there. As the effects from her diabetes worsened, 76-year-old Ella experienced severe circulatory problems and was forced to have both of her legs amputated below the knees. She never fully recovered from the surgery and afterward was rarely able to perform. During this time, Ella enjoyed sitting outside in her backyard and spending time with Ray Jr. and her granddaughter Alice. Quote, I just want to smell the air, listen to the birds, and hear Alice laugh, unquote, she said. And on June 15, 1996, Ella Fitzgerald died at her Beverly Hills home. And now, let's finish with one of my favorite slow melodies. I see 
trails on a mountainside, snow light in Vermont, telegraph cables, they sing down the highway and travel each bend. Are so hypnotized by the lovely evening summer breeze, warbling of a meadow lark, moonlight in Vermont. You and I. in Vermont, written by John Blackburn and Carl Sussdorf. I do want to add a coda to this episode. Hours after Ella passed away, signs of remembrance began to appear all over the world. A wreath of white flowers stood next to her star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, and a marquee outside the Hollywood Bowl Theater read, Ella, we will miss you. After a private memorial service, traffic on the freeway was stopped to let her funeral procession pass through. She was laid to rest in the Sanctuary of the Bell section of the Sunset Mission Mausoleum at Inglewood Park Cemetery in Inglewood, California. And I want to thank ellafitzgerald.com, biography.com, Wikipedia, and NPR for most of the information that you heard on this episode. And I want to thank you for tuning into Volume 13, Ella. Hello, love. However you did. If you want more information about this episode, head over to spinningmydadsvinyl.com. I'll be back next week with all my skips, scratches, and pops with Volume 14, Benny at the World Fair. Go with the flow, my friends. <laughs>